Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by CatholicSingles.com is ringing in the new year with savings for singles. You can save 20% by using the promo code BREADBOX when you register for a new account. Come meet other faithful Catholics and make 2020 a year to remember. Welcome to Liturgy Live for the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord. My name is Alana Berg, and with me, as always, is Father Ian Van Heusen. How's it going, Father? Do well, do well. Everybody get your bingo cards ready and strap in, and we're ready to go here. So while Alana is sharing my little opening monologue that I always give at the beginning. Um, so, you know, one of the interesting dynamics being in the South is there's something fascinating about a Catholic church, right? So if, if you're looking, like, let's say right now it's 3 p.m. in North Carolina. Let's say you're getting done with work and let's say you're tired, um, you've suffered some tragedy and you want to go someplace that just feels holy and you want to pray. You want to go to a place to pray. See, it doesn't matter even if you're non-denominational, right? Like the non-denominational church, who would go to a non-denominational church and just sit and pray in there? I mean, like, what would you be meditating on? It looks like an auditorium, um, you know? I mean, it's not a bad – I mean, they're, it's good, well-designed spaces. Same with, like, a Baptist church. People don't just sit and pray. But here's the fascinating thing. And being in a Catholic parish, you have people stop by all the time that are not Catholic. They're not, And it's, so what they recognize is something similar that we see in today's gospel, which is – the, 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 the church, the Catholic churches in area are like the temple of the New Jerusalem. It's a space where people would come and go and, and where people sometimes spend the day in prayer. Um, I know I've done that myself. Um, when I was a seminarian, I would spend my whole Sunday in prayer um, before in the cathedral in Omaha. And, and there's, I mean, sometimes people denigrate some of the folks that spend more time in prayer. There's definitely some folks that might be, have some interesting personalities, there's also some very devout people. There's that idea of offering worship and offering sacrifice in the temple. See, when Jesus comes in to the temple, there's a whole group of people we, we hear about who are kind of hanging out in the temple, Anna and Simeon. And, and there's a sense that the temple was a space where people would come and dwell and meditate and reflect um, and ponder and hear instruction. And, and that's the beauty. See, the Catholic Church is a fulfillment of that, uh, a new Jerusalem, a, a new temple. And it's really fascinating when you look at it is with that, that, that temple like atmosphere is definitely more present in the Catholic church than it is in Protestant denominations, maybe Orthodox churches as well. Um, does that make sense? Yep. Makes sense to me. And, and it really, people do even who aren't Catholic come into Catholic churches, especially if they're, if they are well-designed and have the ambiance that, that they do feel the presence of the Lord. And that's why people do go there. Um, yeah. So especially going around Europe and see, and going into so many different beautiful churches, that's one of the things that really helped, um, even in my reversion, that I was able to go into these spaces and really feel Christ. So, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and be enlightened uh, by the various things and kind of meditate on the different aspects. Mm -hmm. um, cool. Well, and I think I think we can we can talk a little bit 
I mean, it'll be more as we get into the first reading, is this sense of the temple. So in the first reading from Malachi, a lot is tied with the temple and the, phys- the physical dwelling. See, sometimes some people say, well, I can worship God out in nature. I think we talked about this before, right? What's the heights of creation? The heights of creation is the physical building of the church. The St. Peter's is greater than natural beauty because it, it shows divine, re- it shows reason, it, the interaction of divine and human reason, right. human creativity, right. human ingenuity. And, and it is great, but I, we also see Christ going out into the wilderness to find that silence with God. So, so it is also okay to feel the presence of Christ yeah. in nature um, and to allow ourselves to, to be open to Christ wherever we are. Um, but, but to really know that we encounter the Lord in the Eucharist, in the tabernacle you know, or, right. or in the monstrance, um, is, is the place that we should want to be. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, you know, you can only find quietness away from other people. Yeah. Well, there is that sense of the wilderness too, as being a motif and being a spiritual reality. The man mm-hmm. who goes out into the woods and spends time by himself mm-hmm. surviving and things like that. Right. So I think it's, it's good to look at from both perspectives. Um, and not and not an either or, but more of which a, was great. I was watching um, things, uh, videos on my plane ride for for uh, EWTN, and um, and there was this in America, and it was showing pictures from Alaska from the turn of the century. I'm like, why would anybody live there? Holy cow! I mean, I can see myself like when you're 18 or 19, being like, I'm gonna go prove myself on the frontier. But man, you see like families and stuff. It's like that's a rugged way of life. No, it's hard. It's really hard. All right, let's get into the first reading. All right, from Prophet Malachi. Thus says the Lord God, Lo, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and suddenly there will, be, there will come to the temple the Lord whom you seek, and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. Yes, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who will endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, or like the fuller's lie. He will sit refining and purifying silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, refining them like gold or like silver, that they may offer due sacrifice to the Lord. When Then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord as in the days of old, as in years gone by. Okay, so Malachi is a prophet from either right when they came back from Babylonian captivity or right before they were able to come back from, in that, in that uh, range. Um, so he's really preaching to the people about the coming Messiah, about the return of God to the temple. Um, and the covenant whom you desire, the messenger of the covenant whom you, whom you desire. I really think that's really profound because they probably receive that as their covenant, the covenant of Moses and um, of David and of, you know, of Abraham. But then when we read it, we can say it's the covenant of, that they desire that's, that is the actual salvation. Um, yeah. Well, the, the new, new covenant. covenant, the new covenant. The new covenant yeah. but, but that's actually, I mean, you find that in a lot of the prophetic literature that mm-hmm. he'll establish a new covenant 
Right. Um, so this is one of those, I just want to highlight, this is one, one of those, those prophecies. prophecies that um, that the, the current covenant that they live in what was to be, you know, overshadowed by a new one. Um, yeah. And that, and that, there was necessary for a time of purification and a time. Um, I really like that he will sit refining and purifying silver and he will purify the sons of Levi. And when we come across, across Christ sitting in the gospels, he's teaching. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, but then it's they, they tie this in connection with the presentation, which mm-hmm. I mean, tying with that, it seems at first almost like this is a complete opposite, right? That like somehow like they got it wrong. Like, the coming was supposed to be in glory and power and demonstrations of power. Um, mm-hmm. I really think I always see things and I, maybe I keep coming back to this over and over again is through the lens of contemplation. And the thing with contemplation is paradoxically it's fearful. It's dreadful. It requires a death to self. It requires a a radical encounter with oneself and sin in the heart and 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 yeah, overcoming all of the so there is this sense of this image of who can stand this presence, who can but to the world, maybe they just saw a baby. Maybe like ninety percent of the people in the temple that day were like, ah, eh, no big deal. Just another baby being circumcised or just another baby being presented in the temple. Um but to Anna and Simeon they recognize the power and the glory because their hearts have been purified before. I talk about this a lot. If you look at Jesus's life, there's what's seen by everyone and there's what's seen by a few. So, um, so you, st- you start off with the transfiguration. Only three people saw the transfiguration, right? So the, mm-hmm. the demonstration of his glory, everybody saw the crucifixion. Like it was public. Then you right. didn't have to be a believer only believers saw the resurrection. So in the eyes of the world, they never witnessed the, the resurrection. Um, it, it, God doesn't show his glory until you've surrendered to him. Um, mm, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and offered due sacrifice, which is part of this, um, yeah. part of this reading. Cause that they may offer due sacrifice to the Lord. This, then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord well, as in the well, days of old. Well, this actually, this actually referenced the Eucharist because, right. yeah, but, because. But also because, that the sacrifice of that time was not pleasing. sufficient because that's yeah. also one of the themes of Malachi. Is well, that's that a, a priest offering sacrifices that were insufficient. Which is one of the things I need to figure out a way of teaching this to kids. Cause so Actually, it's funny. I was just meditating on this is different views of salvation. Um, and right now I think, cause I was getting at, um, and I, I hopefully, actually, I think we got some time to discuss this. I was getting at that right now. I think sometimes the emphasis on personal relationship with Jesus, it's good. I'm not saying we should change dramatically, but there's also a legal sacrificial side, which is, that we owe God, according to justice, sacrifices. Now I know that doesn't sound sexy. It doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't like resonate with modern audiences. Like you owe God a sacrifice, but it's a traditional concept in the ancient world that 
is a part of tr- Christianity, a part of the truth. So I think there's a th- three ways we can look at. One is psychological health or psychological equilibrium. That is that as we're saved and we rest in our salvation, and as we merit an increase in grace and we're transformed, there a kind of balance sets in. The problem with that is if you teach people that as the exclusive sign of salvation, then somebody who's at peace with themselves will say, I'm fine, right? We actually see that right now. There's some people who are like, well, why do I need Jesus? Like, I kind of feel okay. You know, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there is a truth in that we overcome vice and we overcome the disorders of the heart, but that's incomplete. So relationship is incomplete, psychological being, and then legal sacrificial is good, but incomplete which is that we have to make a sacrifice to God. And the only sacrifice that is truly pleasing because it's the only one that, that comes close to him is the sacrifice of his son. That is the only, and that we join our sacrifice to the sacrifice of his son. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's the only atoning sacrifice that can make up for human sin and for our, and for making a return to God. Like, and that's, I think another Psalm is that how can I make a return to God? Like that's, uh, I think let me look that up. Okay. Well, I think, um, that, you that, know those, saying, like the, the, the sacrificial component. Yeah. And, and I think there's a lot of both ands that, um, that sometimes we tend to in the church, highlight one over the other or one has been promoted more than the other um, because like you said um, it's not that a personal relationship with Christ is bad or shouldn't be talked about because it should and of course we need to have that um, to really actually offer our own sacrifices with Christ you know if we don't understand that it's personal then it's harder to make that leap of faith, to offer those our own sacrifices with him on the cross. Um, and that it's more than just, you know, a community meal. It's joining together with our, with our offerings, you know, as lay people with the offerings of the priest on the altar, you know, in the representation of the sacrifice. Um, so it's, it's a really, it needs to be a whole view of course of, yeah. of how, that's what I'm saying is, is like, if you balance those three, then you start to, so like, as you offer sacrifice and you have a relationship with the Lord, you overcome sin and the peace of God dwells in your heart, but it's all three of them. Mm-hmm. So if you have peace in your heart, but you're not offering sacrifice, you're being a little bit delusional and, and your peace may be more temporary if you believe that you don't need the church to have a relationship with Jesus and that you can just read the Bible and pray to him on your own without offering sacrifice and without overcoming your sins, again, this is right. Right. And normally that's what you see is sometimes you see when people fall away, they tend to, they, they tend to kind of move in that space. Like mm-hmm. they overemphasize one of those three. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And I guess I was, looking at it from a within the church problem more than a without of the church like problem. Yeah. So that makes well, you actually get this undergoes a lot of the yoga is the, the mental health, the equilibrium kind of mm-hmm. stuff yeah. does get a little bit into the yoga culture, which is a spirituality of self-improvement. Right. Right. Which is, is not what we're talking about. <laughs> which is yeah. Incomplete. And, 
Yeah. And, and the more that you offer yourself in, as a sacrifice or offer up your sacrifice, the more peace that you will feel authentically, right? Yeah. So the more authentic peace that you should be able to rest in, in your yeah, I think that, yeah, the three are interconnected. And all aspects of theology are kind of like, all aspects of spirituality and theology are, are, are interconnected. Um, right. But like I've realized is the, is the, probably – I've never heard of anybody being converted by this, and I don't think it's a persuasive argument, but it's the truth that if you're not offering the sacrifice of the mass in a state of grace, you're not pleasing God's sight. You're not offering true sacrifice. And it's like, and you're, you're not making a return to God for what he's done for you, and mm-hmm. you're not, you're Acting. violating justice. Yeah. And that's a hard sell. Like, Well, I mean, it's not a... a like you said, it's not a conversion point. <laughs> uh, well, I would agree with that. It's not, I mean, it's not funny. something that There's would convince somebody. By that. Like, you know, I just realized that like. Uh, well, it's also not for lay people. What's that? Specifically, like that's more something that I think would be directly directed more towards the, the ministers, um, towards, well, towards it the been, ordained. It would have been convincing towards pagans because pagans had a belief in offering sacrifice to God. And like primitive cultures, right? Um, but they didn't—they didn't understand being in the state of grace. Yeah, well, but I mean, the idea of offering worthily sacrifice, because mm-hmm. I mean, it, you had to—that's the whole idea of like purification before you offer sacrifice. Even in Islam, before you pray, there's this there's this awareness that like you have to be in right relationship. There's okay. an element of repentance. There's an element of right. Like, but I think it's definitely, it goes in tune with what we're talking about with Malachi because he also is, is proclaiming in different parts of this, of um, his prophecy is about how priests aren't offering right sacrifice and, and it is well, disappointing to the Lord. So it really it, does. Well, it's off- a theme, yeah, it's a, a theme of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. They come to awareness, ancient Israel, that God doesn't need bulls and goats. Like that's, that's in the Psalms, like. Right. I do not delight in, I delight in mercy, not sacrifice. Right. So they recognize that they're to offer sacrifices, but it's kind of an anticipation of something like right. they recognize this is, this is not a complete sacrifice. Right. Um, it's insufficient. I think that's the whole old, that's the whole lesson of the old Testament, which is I'm insufficient. And this human religion is insufficient and not human religion because it's divinely revealed, but our religion and our sacrifice and our striving is insufficient. I'm insufficient. I need God. I need God's mercy. And then when they learn that lesson, oh, I need Jesus. Like it prepares you. When you learn to recognize your need for God, then you learn to recognize your need for Jesus. Right. And it has to be the center of your life. And his fulfillment of all these prophecies. Which actually, I have a theory about this, uh, a, a running theory um, with kids. So confessions between the age of, when do they first start confession? First grade, third grade? Second grade, I think. Second grade. Mm-hmm. Whenever they start. Um, second grade through like fifth grade, it's the same confession every time. They, very little change. And I've realized, I think the whole lesson, and it's like the same with the Old Testament. The whole lesson for a second through a fifth grader is not that they're going to somehow magically change. It, there's very, actually very little opportunity for growth. It's like they have to become aware of their, their weakness. They have to become aware of their need for, you know, others and, and their, their insufficiencies. 
Like, and the fact that, like, yeah. Because I mean, yeah. they, 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 they really have the same confession over and over again. Yeah. Every, every kid. I mean, it's like, and there's a little bit of gray, like, there's a little bit of, like, one way or another. But outside of it, unless the kid's stealing or lying, but most of the time, I mean, they do steal a lot. Yeah. But um, I also think that sometimes, because we can also be stunted in our spiritual growth, especially if we, if growing up, we didn't have um, as much understanding or as good a catechesis or whatever for, so some of us uh, who come back to the church or who really don't have a, a religious experience, like an emotional attachment to Christ, um, until later could still be in that need to be need to recognize our own weakness space. Yeah. It doesn't, I mean, I, what I'm saying is that, that it doesn't necessarily have to be children of that age. We can spiritually still be <laughs> children of that age. Yeah. You know, some of us still pray like eight, you know, like eight year olds, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, well, I mean, look at the 12 steps of recovery, right? What's the, the, the 12 steps of alcohols, which one's the one where you recognize a higher power? You, you, I think that's, I know that's in Narcotics Anonymous. It's Alcoholics Anonymous. It, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's recognize, recognition know. of a higher power. Yeah, we do, we take, we do, we, we actually have to, we have to go to an Alcoholic Anonymous class in seminary and uh, we learn about um, mm -hmm treatment programs. Mm -hmm. um, but part of it is recognizing uh, I need, I need, a higher power that I, I'm not in charge of my life. I need to, I need to surrender. That's like one of the first steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just the beginning of everything. Cause the problem is, um, I was just talking about this with somebody who's kind of a uh, long story. I don't want to get who the person is. And I was talking with my sister and this won't give it away. I said, this person, they're not going to change because they still don't see that they're the problem. Like they're going to continue to make these same problems over and over again, seeing the same mistakes until they either have a breakdown or they hit rock bottom. And I was like, and chances are they're not going to hit rock bottom because of the, their position. Um, so it's like, it's just like, you, you know, there's certain people that get stuck in a rut and um, yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. And, and sometimes there's only so many, so much we can do, you know, outside these situations that. Absolutely. We can recognize that pattern, but we can't always interrupt it. Um, so are you ready for some comments? Yeah, shoot. All right. Ryan Fisher says, hey, gang, glad to see everyone. Glad Father Ian made it back safe and sound from EWTN. Yeah. And have you ever, uh, Ryan, have you ever had that white barbecue sauce that I had in Alabama? It's good. Interesting, but good. So it's the white sauce in Alabama. Yeah. We'll so. have to try it. Sounds good. Have you ever had so have you ever had like pulled pork barbecue? Like there's the vinegar sauce, there's the red sauce, there's the mustard sauce. I haven't had that selection. I've just had red sauce. Yeah. So and then there's white sauce apparently. There's white sauce in Alabama. Sounds good. Uh, Ryan also says, as adults, I think without a community of believers, in quotation marks, that you referred to earlier. We also would, don't realize our inadequacies, our weaknesses, and our need for others. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. So it needs to be, we do need, you know, like our personal connection with Christ, but we also need the connection within the community. So yeah, and you know, I mean, fleshing this out a little bit, everybody I've seen that really struggles in life and seems to have a lot of conflict, a lot of drama, 
they don't have like three or four people that they listen to like, or, or the, it's like, who do you listen to? And, and often you'll, 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 you'll talk to them and they'll be like, you know, my parents don't know what they're talking about. My friends don't know what they're talking about. The people I work with don't know what they're talking about. I'm the right one. And when and it's extreme form, it's like narcissism. But I mean, when you encounter that, you're like, I've come to realize that because every now and then there's been situations where leaders or people have made big decisions and people are like, well, what were they thinking? I was like, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think they asked anybody about that decision. I, I really think they kind of made it up in their own head by themselves. I'm like, they, you know, it's yeah. like at a certain point you have to decide, but like, yeah, I've, I've always seen very people who like rely on those around them. Um, Unless they're like, I mean, unless they're in a gang or something and they're surrounded by drug dealers, for the most part, we all have a few reasonable people in our lives. Mm. Now that it becomes a problem when people have bad family situations, though. That's right. kind of. Ryan says no white sauce for me. No white sauce. You don't like it? I don't know. Uh, he says, or they only listen to people that will agree with them. Yeah. yeah. So they got they have a little bit of an echo chamber, but yeah. I don't have but, that problem. <laughs> I'll disagree with you. Yeah, <laughs> Sometimes it's, live. <laughs> it's funny, man. As, as I get to know more people, yeah, they, those, so it was, um, never mind. I just got corrected by somebody else. I was like, man, everybody tells me their opinion. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, I think, I think I'm going to bring up a, a bingo score. I think when, when Jordan, Jordan Peterson talks about like when we're in relationship with others, it's about them we put out information. That's why like free, free speech is so important. Like we put out information to see like if there's any pushback to see if the, if what we think is right. So if we yeah. don't get that pushback or if we don't get if we don't express ourselves in a way to help understand how we feel or how we think, or to even correct some of the misunderstandings that we may have, you know, if we don't communicate these things, then it becomes a huge problem in relationships. Um, and, and I think that's part of what we have to, make sure that we, we do talk about things and, you know, when going into confession and going into and having communities that we can rely on and we can trust that will, if we say something dumb or we say something wrong, um, that they won't completely, you know, anathema, you know, like cast us from the group because we were, we were wrong once, you know what I mean? And, and that can be a scary thing because in our cancel, in the cancel culture, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's something that's been happening. Yeah. Like people have been have, losing their jobs and losing their relationships because they happen to express the wrong opinion. Um, and, and it's, we are not our opinions. Our opinions can change. Truth doesn't change, but sometimes we need to be uh, more understanding and have more conversations to work around to like, what is, what is the truth? You know what I mean? So it's, if we don't know what it is, we need to be able to talk to other people so that they can help us find it. Yeah. And I will say this, I think, um, yeah, some dangers I've seen with people is so truth and objective truth is, is clear. There are some people who, and their emphasis on objective truth, deny a kind of relativity of politics, which is uh, the discernment, the, the knowing your circumstances of politics. And that's, that's often the challenge is, it's not just enough to be right. You have to be right in the right situation in the right circumstances. Um, and, and actually even looking at this, 
for an action to be good or bad, you look at the object, you look at the intent, and you look at the circumstances. So um, let's say you've had an abortion, and I say to you, abortion is murder. But let's say my intent was to hurt you, and the circumstances was whatever. It was just bad circumstances. That's not a good action, even though I'm so, quote, unquote, telling the truth, because it's the intent and the circumstances. Right. Um, and, that's, and that's why we have to speak truth in charity, because if we speak truth as a weapon to hurt others, um, it really does scandalize. It really does bring people away from God when we need to bring them forward. And I, I, I really think also in this culture right now, you have to be careful um, having ideological, theological blinders. So, okay, I'm pretty sure everybody knows who's watching or listening, who follows me, that I'm pretty conservative and pretty traditional. Um, but the thing is, is I encounter all kinds of people who might disagree with some of my positions or people who have different perspectives that I'm able to work with. And one of the things I've always realized is that one, there's some people who hold positions that are against church teaching and they really don't get how it's incongruent with their Catholic faith or, or they're not Catholic, but sometimes even within the church, like you, you, you have people, you're like kind of the, the views you're holding. It's like they haven't thought it all the way through or they, mm-hmm. or they don't know the origins of, of what those thoughts are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and also then there's the experience. So one of the big challenges in the Diocese of Raleigh, all the priests over 60 are pretty liberal, over 60 or 70. But here's the interesting story. Guess what they lived through? Think about this for a second. Why would a priest in the South be potentially liberal historically? Because of... Um, civil rights. Yeah, civil rights, yeah. So they lived through civil rights when the Catholic Church was on that list of things that the KKK was against, and when they were a minority, and they saw how black people were treated by quote-unquote conservatives. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, have a little bit of empathy. Like, in their time, they're formed by the 60s and the 70s in the South. Like, their thinking is going to be radical. This could be very different. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of times I found with relationships is a, they don't take a lot of time to get to know me. And sometimes it's the same way, vice versa. Like, like actually, I really, I really think even though if people, people back to the opinions, my opinions comment about people can have opinions, but they aren't just that. They are people that, that that's who we interact with and that's who we are called to love and, and called and commanded to love. And if we just put up that facade of that's who they are and don't go through like, okay, well, they, they have this label, so I can't move past that to really look in, to be able to know them and know their hearts and, and really, and like, maybe that's just a wrong label or maybe they come across that way, but they're not really that way. Does that make or, sense? Or maybe they really are um, like liberal, whatever. And, but their experience, like their story and who they were influenced by. Cause like right. you're walking into like a moment in their life. And I mean, and I'm aware of this because nobody has my background. I'm an army brat. So like day in and day out, I'm surrounded with people who generally don't understand how I was raised. So like, I make no assumptions about how they were raised because I don't know how they were raised. Like I literally don't know what it feels like to be from a small town 
or to be raised in like Greenville, like people who've been born and raised here. I'm like, I don't know what it's like to be you. I'd yeah. be curious to know because. I, yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the same, basically the same area, but being a military spouse, I feel the same way coming out of that. Like you ha you live around your family for how many generations? Like, that sounds awesome. I don't know what that's like. Cause even when I grew up, we, my grandparents didn't live around us. Yeah. So I just didn't, I didn't And the culture where I grew up in Northern Virginia around DC is just, it wasn't like that because everybody was transplants you know, yeah. into that area. Absolutely. So it's just, I like that, that we just don't actually know. And, and we really need to move past cer certain labels, even if they're, they turn out to be true labels, you know, but, yeah. but that we really love the person for who they are and, and, you know, in through Christ and that I think that that will, that will bring a lot of healing yeah. into the church that, that we really, really need. Um, we have a few comments. Sure. Uh, watching from Nigeria. I enjoy Liturgy Live. That's from Stella and Kay. Thank you, Stella. Mm -hmm. And Father Vitalis has some comments. He says, in as much as private devotions and prayers are encouraged, we have, we have to recall the power of God's presence when we gather in prayer, especially at the liturgical celebration. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. And then he also says, Sacro Sanctum Concilium has this, to accomplish... So great a work, Christ is always present in his church, present in the sacrifice of the mass, not only in the person of his minister, the same now the same now offering through the ministry of priests who formerly offered himself on the cross, but especially under the Eucharistic species. By his power, his, he is present in the sacraments so that when a man baptizes, it is really Christ himself who baptizes. He yeah. is present in his word, since he is himself, he himself who speaks when the Holy Scriptures are read in the church. He is present, lastly, when the church prays and sings, for he promised, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Amen. Yeah. Yes. That's a great section from San Crescent. Yeah, definitely cover that. Yeah. yeah it's, it's good stuff. It's, and it's really important to go, to go back and, and really resonate on, on these things like Christ especially in the Eucharist, of course, but also in, in these other places, in these other places where Christ's grace works and he's yeah. there. Um, Absolutely. So. All right. So I think we still have to do a second reading. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Let's okay. jump in the second reading. Um, from book of Hebrews. Since the children share in the blood and flesh, Jesus likewise shared in them that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and free those who through through fear of death, have, had been subject to slavery all their life. Surely he did not help angels, but rather the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every way, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest before God to expiate the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested through what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. I, I think this is a relevant, very relevant and beautiful, you know, passage from he Hebrews, um, because speaking of suffering and offering up our our sacrifices, um, mm -hmm. that that he experienced so much that we can like whatever we're going through that we can find him in our suffering, you know, mm -hmm. and we can experience Christ, especially because 
the the passion has more of a tr- transcendent nature like it's uh, in when we meditate upon the passion it's more we can actually be present and offer our love to him in that way mm-hmm. um that i think that's just really beautiful because then because then we can find him when we are suffering and we can mm-hmm. we can in those moments not just at mass but in those moments be combined with him on the cross yeah you know, it's interesting that the, one of the beauties of the Catholic faith is this sacrificial dimension and uniting the sacrifice to the sacrifice of Christ is very incarnational and very sensual, right? So you go to a church, you light a candle, you know, you, you offer a prayer before the tabernacle, um, you receive the communion, you know, you receive the Eucharist, body and blood. There's water, there's, you sprinkle stuff with water, all these different, um, these kind of tangible signs um, it's fascinating because I even like I, I, I one habit I had my last assignment that I talk with people about is you know I, which is why I'm a big fan of perpetual adoration chapels. My last assignment, if I was feeling stressed and I just was like not in a good headspace, I would get in my car and I would drive down the street to the adoration chapels, like a half hour away. So it would be like a half hour there, spend a half hour, a half hour back, maybe stop by Starbucks or something, treat myself. Um, but that whole process would be just very getting me out of my head a little bit and mm-hmm. very helpful. Yeah. And, and I completely agree with perpetual adoration and doing at least a weekly holy hour, which you helped me like really hone in on that, on that um, practice about a, a little over a year ago. And um, yeah, really, it really does help just kind of reset where mm-hmm. you are and just, be one with Christ, be in his presence and, and allow him to work in your heart in that silence. And this is the, you know, going back to like some of that stuff with um, that being mode versus doing mode is one of the challenges I started to realize with our thinking is that a good part of our day in our life, we are the center of our attention. Those and those around us, like we're in problem solving mode, but it's like even when we're praying, we're praying for our family members, we're praying for our concerns. We don't take time to just kind of like, let me set all of that aside and just think about heaven. Just think about the sacrifice of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Just think about something that's completely unrelated to what's going on in my life, but is true, good, and beautiful, and ultimately attaches me to heaven. Yeah. Um, I actually sometimes feel really guilty because sometimes I forget when I'm in an adoration, I forget to pray for my friends, you know, cause I, cause that's where I go to just be yeah, and, and have that time. And then I like leave adoration. I'm like, Oh, I forgot to pray for my friends. That's, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's fine. That's fine. You pray for them afterwards. Yeah. There's always time to pray, to pray intercessory prayer. Yeah. But I mean, being able to let go is a huge thing. Yeah. Because well, I talked with people. I don't know if I talked with you about this, um, is one of the things, oh yeah, I talked with you a little bit about it. When I first said, you kind of gave me a weird look, which is my greatest ability is like my ability to not think about things. But, but that's the thing for a lot of people is they have to learn how not to think about their problems yeah. and how to not think about right. it's, their it's daily life. The stimulus and then the stopping of the response to that, to that stimulus. Yeah. Uh, and, and I definitely have practiced it this week because I've just like been in a situation where I'm like, were like all of a sudden worried about something and I'd be like, stop. Yeah. No, like I'm not thinking about this. This is not, you know, what I want to do. And yeah. it, it really does take a few se- you know, like y- you realize that you're thinking about it. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just like, 
mull over something, especially like if you're having some sort of anxiety or stress, Yeah. you know, that, that it's like, whoa, wait a second. This is not what I want to spend my time doing. I'm not going to entertain these thoughts that are not rational. <laughs> you know, like these thoughts are not rational. <laughs> Catch yourself. Yeah. Oh, by the way, speaking of which, spend that, that time adoration. It's the coolest thing now on Monday mornings at our parish. So it happened spontaneously is I would expose the blessed sacrament so they could clean the chapel. And whenever I would do that, it'd be like 20, 20 or 30 people that would stick behind and do a holy hour and do adoration. And it was like, we have the four missionaries for focus. Then we have the, the three vagabond missionaries and then a whole bunch of other people. So I was like, I got the idea. I was like, you know, I think what I started to do. So though I started the past few weeks is I exposed the blessed sacrament every week. We have the perpetual adoration chapel, but it's too small for 30 people. So oh, I bring okay. the blessed sacrament out to the main church and then I sit there and I do a whole hour with everybody. And it's kind of fun now. It's like we all do it together. And, and like it's like, it was never announced. It was never official. It just kind of happened organically. Um, I like it. But it's and kind then, of cool. I've never, I, outside of seminary, I've never done a whole hour. Outside of like something that's like really planned, like, you know, like with the bishop or something, I've never just seen spontaneously like 20 or 30 people in a church doing a whole hour together. Hmm. Yeah. There was one time that I happened upon a holy hour uh, in Italy. We just, we were at a market and we walked into the local church in where the market was in the square and uh, they had holy, they were having holy hour and it just, you know, it might've been announced in their own parish you know, in Italy, yeah. but, but it wasn't something that I was really expecting. You know, I was just going into church to pray and to look around. It was a decent amount. Yeah. And and it was at a time where the people were out and about so that they could come in. You know what I mean? Because during the during the time of the um the market, then there were actual people there to be able to come in and adore Christ. So it was really cool to kind of stumble upon it. That makes sense. Out and about. That's cool. And and yeah. And there were so many adoration chapels or churches in um at World Youth Day mm-hmm. in Krakow, um, that we went to adoration at um, St. Mary's. And then mm-hmm. we were walking down the church, uh, walking down the street, and there was another church, and they were, they were like, shh, this is a quiet area. Like, please don't make a lot of noise. For this tiny little church, they're like, would you like to go to adoration? We're like, well, we were just in adoration, but sure, we can go to adoration here. And, it, and in that church was the relics of uh, St. Therese of Lisieux. So it was like, it was really special. So it was Christ in adoration and then the relics of St. Therese. So it was, it was so, those types of stumbling upons are awesome. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I want to go to World Youth Day in, where is World Youth Day? 2022 um, in Portugal, wherever, wherever it is yeah. in Portugal. So I want to do that. So we should do that. Just like you wanted to go somewhere else in in 2022, but I think we should go to World Youth Day. Well, actually, I'm moving my pilgrimage to 2021. All um, right. Because now, because when we work with EWTN, it's going to be a little easier to get the people. Oh, get people. Mm. Yeah, so we're going to do it quicker. That'll be cool. All right, let's well, get, Yeah, we have to get on to the gospel because it's a long one. All right. Bear with me. <laughs> yeah. The gospel of Luke. When the days were completed for their purification, according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. He came to the Spirit, he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in the regard to him, he took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the peoples a light for a revelation to the Gentiles, and a glory for your people, Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted, and you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel in the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after marriage and then as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, and but worshipped night and day with fasting and prayer and coming forward at that very time. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child who all were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon them. Okay, so that's a long version. And where would you like to go? It's so long. Would you, where would you like to go? I think it's the whole idea of church people, right? I mean, mm-hmm. people hang out at churches. Um it's kind of it's kind of interesting. It's like people there's people who hang out in monasteries, churches. Um, mm-hmm. There's a whole group of regulars at EWTN. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and and the, this is specifically speaking of people who are devout. Not not just they happen to be church people, but people who the spirit has has come to them and who are yeah. praying night and day and who really have a relationship with God, who are in right right worship in that way. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then, then that's, I mean, and there's, there's people, there's a core of people at every parish that are like that. They're not always your main volunteers. They're not always, um, but they're kind of like the, the little, like John, the beloved apostle types that they're, they're, they're very holy, very meek, very gentle, sometimes not, not really known by many people. Um, but they just kind of, they radiate that, that, holiness and sometimes they'd be a little eccentric too but that's that's uh, that's okay um, <laughs> but, um, but um yeah but sometimes when when we hear church people it's not always the best condensation <laughs> the condensation yeah, well, and, and, and that's like, intentional oh. i mean because we have an enemy and like that enemy sometimes has a huge influence on hollywood right i mean that's the thing is is like the whole church like that's like I, the, the bad reputation of church people i think a lot of it's hype and I think, like, let's say out of every 10 church people, there's one that's like a, a narcissist, sociopath, borderline personality disorder, crazy, egotistical, 
jerk, whatever. It's about, I would say maybe like one in 10 or maybe one in 12. Let's go with one in 12. You know, that's a good biblical number. Yeah, Judas Iscariot <laughs> principle. Yeah. But I mean, it's, yeah. I think a lot of that stuff is, I think a lot of that's created. I think it's created. Let's think I heard this song once where this singer who's in his 20s was going on about the nun all dressed in black who would beat him with a ruler. And I wanted to be like, bull honky. There's no religious orders that wear all black right now because he would have been raised in like the 90s or 2000 I'm like which religious order was that in education you're full of it you're making this up <laughs> <laughs> because you know mm-hmm. you're you're on drugs and you're you know you want to mm-hmm. you want to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with and mm-hmm. the thought of a nun bothers you you know whatever yeah it, it irritates them in, in some way so he, they need to yeah. lash out at it lash out at it um, not that, I, think, yeah. I think there's a lot of lying. I think there is a lot of lying. I mean, I, how many times have you been at, a, I mean, I've been at abortion uh, places tons with protesters. And have you ever, I've never seen somebody get really angry, like from on our side. Like I've, I've only seen gentleness, praying, love. And these are people who've been doing it since the sixties and seventies. And yet what, what makes it into the song by what's his name? Um, uh, the the uh, the song by the guy from House of Pain who did his own career. Um, then you really might know what it's like, and then you really might know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, mm. he's like they're they're yelling at her as she goes into the to right. the abortion mill, but you don't really understand her. It's like you just made that up. <laughs> well, you I mean, I just made I that think up. I think maybe that there might have been some instances and those are the instances that get labeled as the normal. Yeah. Do you know what? So it's not, maybe they didn't make that one particular instance up, but it's, it's making, it's normalizing. It's making that. I'm willing to bet money that he never knew a woman who had an abortion that encountered a negative protester, that he simply made it up. It's a work of fiction. I would bet money on that. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know. I, I would bet. I would bet. I would bet like a hundred bucks on that. Knowing know. how songwriters and how these people work, I, I, I don't. I don't think he accompanied a woman to an abortion mill who is getting flack at the door. I don't know. I think he just figured out it, it rhymed well, <laughs> and he figured out the rhyme scheme. I mean, that's possible. And I, and I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm not going to go into into no. those details of somebody else's <laughs> experience and yeah okay I'm just not going to go fair there, um, but <laughs> I just think that that there are situ I mean situations do happen and yeah. they they tend to be blown into a proportion that is not real, yeah. um, and and I think I think that's where I could go with that, but I think that when it comes to when we're in the churches and when we're dealing with people in church, which is people have a sense and we're all sinful and, you know, we all have to deal with each other. It's a really difficult situation. And it's, um, you know, no, I will say normally it depends what rises to the top depends on the pastor. <clears throat> normally the church people are at their worst when they don't have a good pastor. So generally speaking, mm-hmm. I've seen pastors who love control tend to attract, I've just talked about this, this is a trend 
and it's not a liberal or conservative. I've seen it on multiple ends where people who have a lot of control issues tend to attract people with issues themselves because it's like they can be controlled, but they're not, it's not healthy. Right. And, um, and yeah, that definitely can be a huge problem for the parish culture. Um, yeah. And those are the types of things I guess that I'm more interested in healing and going in and, and working with, with the lay leaders in that way. Like when I'm talking, telling you about my project about the parish resiliency, about uh, serving lay leaders and not necessarily to like, like create a new thing, but really go in and we're, we're in the time of the laity where before it was, it was the time where, where the religious really did a lot of work in the church and, and they had their rule of life and they had their connection with God. Um, and they were taught that first before they went into ministry and, and it's really something that we need to get back to. And we really need to teach the lay people to be active, active contemplatives, you know, so to, to really survive parish life and not get burned out and leave and then work outside, work for God outside the church. Like we really need to help those who are in the church and, and love those people um, into healing. You know what I mean? So that, that these dysfunctional relationships, you know, that we see in the church, which, you know, whatever, for whatever reason they have occurred um, for many, many, many different reasons, um, many, many different sin, personal sins of many different people um, have affected. Uh, and it, there really just needs to become, needs healing. And that's really where, where I'm coming yeah. from. And that, you know, speaking of okay, it could be a cool people. It could be a cool ministry. Yeah. So, and. I am slightly, I am slightly, um, maybe not cynical because I know it can be done. But I, I tend to, maybe it's because of my perspective as a priest, I tend to believe it comes from the top down. But, but maybe I might be wrong on that. Because some people have said I'm wrong on that, that are, they're, not, they're not dummies. But that um, I tend to, yeah. Well, I just think service and love to other people is healing in general. Whether it it's a, solves all the problems, I, I, I don't think it's a silver bullet. You know, it's not going to solve the problems of the church, but it might heal some relationships, will, which will make, which will bear fruit. Yeah, it makes sense. you know what I mean. So yeah, I just, I just, my whole perspective on parish life is, is if the pastor is not healthy. Now, the, the an ideal situation where somebody could help out is if the pastor is healthy, but he's come into an unhealthy parish, and he's like, my parish is unhealthy. I need to work on this. I'm new. I need to set up some kind of process of which um, I know of one institution where that happened and what they decided was they had to get rid of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of started that process of evaluating like what's going on. And, right. And, you know, but, but also, you know, it's just a culture where everyone has worked so hard that the first thing that goes is their prayer life, you know, and then yeah. discernment and, you know, or they don't, never learned discernment. And they, you know what I mean? Or they were on fire, you know, like they reverted or convert, converted and they're on fire for the Lord. So they just jumped into ministry and they don't have the foundation necessary, but they just happened to work for so long and were so consistent that they, they're in positions in the church that now they actually need that foundation, you know? Absolutely agree. So, so it's, and, and we expect so much fruit from these people. You know, we, there's so much expected and, and they really do need to be. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I would say a lot of that also can be like in your head. I think the challenge, what I've seen with the challenge with parish ministry is um, it's open-ended and that most, many of the positions you can always do more. You can always do more. Um, Well, the harvest is morning. Yeah. And I feel like every day, I mean, like I have thank you cards that I need to write to donors. <laughs> yes. I, have, I have receipts that I need to, you know. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like never I, ending. And, it's and, it never really, ending. <laughs> and really just knowing that, that somebody cares and wants to give you a break. And yeah. you know what I mean? Like that, but that goes back to the way. like not thinking about things, learning not to think about. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but knowing also that there's somebody who wants to care for you. Yeah, that too. That you know, too. like, I feel like that there's, n- that hasn't been addressed. Um, so in, in any sort of like real way, but. Makes sense. But that might be a cool mission. You know, it's one of those things where good ideas, you know, it's 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. Yeah. It's all on the execution. I mean. Right. Well, yeah. I'm doing a lot of discernment. It's a lot of like trying to be patient and waiting on the Lord. You know what I mean? Like, because I have a tendency of being like, Oh, you want me to do this? And like, run off. <laughs> He's like, wait for me, Absolutely. wait for me. So that's where I'm at right now. It's done great things for my faith life and my prayer life. And just what is that? What is a resilient person in Christ look like? Yeah. And then I need to be that person, <laughs> you know? So, so people can actually, well, there's, there's a, I have to say there's, there's a bunch of people who reach out to me that are kind of in this space of mental health, like mental, spiritual health, but we're at time. and um, Yeah. Okay. And we have some comments. So oh, shoot. Ryan says, I think we've hit the gamut of hanging out at churches today and where we can be in the presence of God. We've talked about the mass and the importance of the community, perpetual adoration chapels and holy hours and individual personal prayer in the confines of our own homes. A trifecta for sure. Thanks, Ryan. And he says, a, par- a prayer request for the 12 individuals from around the country who shared their stories with us at a justice workshop this past Saturday. The cool. stories were heart-wrenching. And many of them began drinking and doing drugs with their own parents in the early years. Hmm. He says around between four and eight. Oh, many have had their children taken away from them. We truly have an epidemic in our nation regarding addictions. Pray for their strength and their further recovery efforts and that they learn to rely on God who will walk with them in their journey to freedom from their addiction. Thank you. Absolutely. Okay, let's pray. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray in a special way for all those who suffer addiction, for those who were mentioned before. We pray for our parishes, for strength and for resiliency. Pray for our ministries. We pray for our families, our loved ones. We ask you to bless all who will watch or listen to this. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone. Have a good So take me to the fountain I seek. It's welling up, it's welling up in me. me.
Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small batch artisan coffee using top tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic themed coffees available at www dot grimbeancoffee.com forward slash redboxmedia experience coffee like never before